What's up, everybody, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh my goodness, what a show we have planned for you today. We have released our week three Heisman rankings for the top players in college football, the best trophy in college football, the biggest trophy in college football, and we have also released, or we are going to release by the time the show comes out, our top 10 quarterback prospect rankings for the 2022 NFL Draft. You can call them power rankings, you can call them positional rankings, whatever the hell you want to call them, do as you please. That's all I'm going to say about it. And I do apologize if I sound a little lackadaisical this show towards the I'm I'm expecting towards the latter parts of the show. I played, I just got done playing soccer with a few friends, so I'm a little tired. But it is Tuesday night, so that means I must record a Logan Blackman show. It's just what I have to do. It's a must. I don't make the rules. The gods make the rules. They they tell me what to do, and they tell me that, Logan, you need to record a show tonight. Doesn't matter what you did before. It does not matter. And while we are on the topic of, you know, nothing, really, we haven't even started the show yet, I was on ESPN just right before the show started, and they released an article, are the 86 best best MLB team of the last half century? Or something along those lines. And I saw the list, and there's some pretty damn good teams on this list. And the the reason this 86 Mets team got brought up, they made a 30 for 30, 30 for 30 about the 86 Mets, about all the stuff that was going on and off the field with the 86 Mets, because there was a lot of shit going on with them. But you had the 1970 Orioles, 1975 Cincinnati Reds, the 84 Tigers, 86 Mets, like we just mentioned, the 95 Braves, the 98 Yankees, the 2016 Cubs, the 2017 Astros, the 2018 Red Sox, and the 2020 Dodgers. The team that won the most games over a season on this list is the 2020 Los Angeles Dodgers. And you also got the Yankees in 98, and you've got some honorable mentions up there with the 86 Mets with 108, the 75 Reds with 108, and the 70 Orioles with 108. The lowest win total on here is the 95 Braves and the 2017 Astros, which is up for debate. Remember we talked about that? A lot. <laughs> That's very hot-button issue. But the Astros are still good. So maybe why they need to do it? I don't know. But this article pretty much just goes through every single position on the team that won the World Series. And at the time, they won the World Series. Because on this list, the most notable thing on here for me was the third base rankings. And I think most of you, or not most of you, but if you watch baseball for long enough, or if you just know generally about the sport of baseball and the Major League Baseball, just Major League Baseball in general, there's a, <laughs> there's a que- uh, maybe questionable, maybe questionable selection at, at third base. So Chris Bryant, I will not ever say anything, you'll rarely catch me say anything bad about Chris Bryant. I love Chris Bryant. He's one of the greatest Cubs players of all time. He's the greatest Chicago Cubs player of my lifetime. Won an MVP, won a World Series, did all that. Won Rookie of the Year, did everything there was to do as a Chicago Cub. Just peaked too early. It was like a similar Derrick Rose thing. Except his thing was a shoulder injury. When he slid in the first base and popped his shoulder. And then just a lot of inconsistencies after that. But they had Chris Bryant at number one on that third base list. Which I'm not saying is the problem. The problem is number two. (laughs) Pete Rose. You know, the guy that, before Ichiro, had the most hits in baseball? Or I guess Ichiro's, a lot of them came in the Japanese league, but Pete Rose, the disgruntled Hall of Famer, the guy that most people think should be in the Hall of Fame because this stuff that involved the cheating scandal was not on the field, it was all off the field. And whether you think it's right or wrong, which I think most people think it's wrong, I think most people understand that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. He's got the most hits in Major League Baseball history. I think, generally speaking, most people think that he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I am pretty surprised when I scrolled down the list and saw Chris Bryant. Now, that 2016 season was special. Like we said, the Cubs won 103 games. Chris Bryant won the MVP. Like, it was a special, special season for the Chicago Cubs. They won the World Series, first World Series in 108 years. Like, it's special. I'll never forget where I was. It was in my dorm room at William Penn University, by myself, because all my friends were not Cubs fans. They left me by myself. My friend Johnny, he gave me his Dish Network password and email to log in to watch World Series because we did not have access to cable. My family did not have cable television at that time to be able to stream things. So Johnny blessed me blessed me 
with his Dish Network account, and I'll watch the World Series. And I watched Aroles Chapman get up with the home run to Rajay Davis. I got the update before that, and uh, it hurt the soul a little bit. Got the update before the home run actually happened, so I was in a little bit of dis- disbelief right there. But man, I- I'm one of the most diehard Cubs fans you can find. Out of all the major sports, I've never liked another team in Major League Baseball other than the Cubs. Like, as a kid, you grow up liking certain players or liking certain teams. Like in the NFL, growing up, you had a lot of Indianapolis Colts fans because of Peyton Manning. You had a lot of Patriots fans because of Tom Brady. You had a lot of teams that people liked. My friend Jared, he liked the Carolina Panthers because of Cam Newton. Like, you have all these teams that you liked as a kid. Ladini Thomas is my favorite player. I liked the Chargers. Like, you have these teams you liked. Baseball was one of the few sports that I did not have a team other than the Cubs that I liked. I think it was the connection with the I-Cubs and just growing up going to games and how bad the Cubs were. I felt that connection with the Cubs. Like, oh man, if they get good, I can say I was there from the beginning. And I do. But I'm not, I'm not crazy enough to say, maybe it's just a season. I didn't really read that in-depthly into the article. I just saw that Curse Bryant was above Pete Rose and kind of was like, ugh. That makes me uneasy a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, that was really the only issue I had on here. But as... The ranking system goes, they go through 1 through 10, they had 10 teams on here, and ranked each player by their position. So Anthony Rizzo was the number one first baseman on all these teams, which was also kind of surprising to me, but number one for all the first basemen on here. Cubs didn't really have anybody that up that much higher on the list, but their pitchers were pretty high, like John Lester, Kyle Hendricks, Jake Arrieta, John Lackey, they were all pretty high on their respective list in the order of where they pitched. So you had the ace, the second, third, fourth. And they were all really high on that list. So the Cubs on this final list, according to ESPN, are the, thir- the fourth best team of the half century. They had a- 77 points on this list. The best team of the half century was the 90-98 New York Yankees with 92 points. Then followed by the 86 Mets, the 70 Orioles, the 2016 Cubs, 95 Braves, the 2020 Dodgers, the 2017 Astros, 2018 Red Sox, 75 Reds, and the 84 Detroit Tigers. So the Yankees, when they won the World Series in 1998, they had 114 wins. Like we said before, is the second most wins on this list. 114. The Cubs had 103 and ranked fourth, which is beautiful. And as a biased Cubs fan, (laughs) I am obviously going to say they deserve that number four spot. But as a pessimistic fan... I'm pretty surprised that they're that high. They were an amazing team. They came back from a 3-1 deficit to beat the Cleveland Indians, soon-to-be Cleveland Guardians. But I was pretty surprised, not only to see they're standing on the list, but to see the players that are ranked so highly on the list. Like, for the catcher, Wilson Contreras was ranked 7th. Rizzo, as we said, first was ranked 1st. Then you had Ben Sobrist at 6th, Chris Bryant at 1st, then at shortstop, you had Aston Russell, which we don't talk about, ranked ninth. Then you had left field. You had Jorge Soler, because remember, Kyle Schwarber tore his ACL like the third or four, like early in the season, like the second series of the season against the Brewers. So it was Jorge Soler. So he's probably ranked 10th <laughs> on the list. Dexter Fowler ranked ninth. Jason Hayward ranked 10th. And then you got the bench ranked seventh. You had Javi Baez, David, Mon- David Ross, Miguel Montero on there. They were ranked seventh. Then on the pitchers, you had. John Lester ranked 7th as the ace. Jake Arrieta ranked 2nd as the number 2 starter. Number 3, Kyle Hendricks ranked 3rd. Number 4, John Lackey ranked 2nd as the 4th pitcher on the roster. And then the relief ace, you had Aroldis Chapman ranked 3rd on the 2016 Cubs and ranked overall 4th. So you know what? I'm pretty good with that list. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty nice with that list. That's a nice list. The fourth best team in the half century. I will take that. And there's been some good teams in there as well. So there's no... The team that I saw win, lose 100 games is the fourth best team in the half century, which is just insane for me to think about, but uh, rightfully so. I hope they do. So they did a 30 for 30 documentary on the 86 Mets with all the drug use they had, all the partying they had, plus all the winning they had. The Cubs, to my knowledge at least, did not have the drugs and the partying that the 86 Mets had. But there's got to be a 30 for 30 on the 2016 Chicago Cubs. You're ending a world, the longest World Series or championship drought in American sports. 108 years. 
and how close that team was and how you went from 100 losses to 103 wins in a World Series, that's got to be talked about. It's got to be stuff of legends. You go from Rick Renteria, who got fired. I'm on the opinion that I feel really bad for Rick Renteria getting fired. It was just the fact that Joe Madden was available. They could not pass on the opportunity to get Joe Madden. Joe Madden left the race. It was like, well, shit. You got to go after Joe Madden. You, Rick Renteria, I mean, thank you for doing, I mean, not a lot. I mean, you didn't win a lot. But you can see the building blocks were there for the Cubs. Joe Madden comes in, and then they're contenders. And then they win a World Series. There's got to be a 30 for 30 on that eventually. There's a freaking 30 for 30 on the Steve Bartman play in left field <laughs> with Moises Alou. Like, there's got to be a 30 for 30 on the 2016. There's a 30 for 30 for the four falls of Buffalo for the four straight two rules they missed. There's got to be a 30 for 30 for the 2016 Chicago Cubs. And while we're talking about the Buffalo Bills and the NFL and college football, we're going to try and transition to college football here. <laughs> Just football in general, I guess. Because I, I just saw that right before the show started. Because I knew they were talking about the 86 Mets. They had a whole 30 for 30 on that. I think it's like a three-day special or something like that. I could be wrong. But I remember seeing that a bunch of commercials for it. Saw it on Twitter. So I wanted to talk about that first. And I saw this article right as I clicked on the ESPN logo on my bookmark pages. And then I was like, well, where, what, where are the best teams of the half century? And the Cubs are on there. So I was like, oh, we got to talk about And if the Cubs weren't on there... To be 100% honest, wouldn't have said a single thing <laughs> about this article because I wouldn't have cared. But the fact that my favorite baseball team on here is on, that my favorite baseball team is on here and not only on here is ranked fourth best of the half century, I'll take it. <laughs> I will, I'll take it. I was fine with the, the coming back for 3 1 down, winning the World Series, 103 wins, stuff like that. Chris Bryant winning the MVP. This puts the cherry on top. Ranked a fourth best team in the half century. That's a lot of teams right there. It's a lot of times 50 years and the Cubs are on that list. <laughs> oh, man. My parents' lifetime and the Cubs are the fourth best team on here. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. But I released on Twitter, talking about college football, I released my Heisman rankings, my top eight, because <laughs> to be 100% honest here, I did a top ten. Last week, but I was like, oh, let's make a graphic for this. And when I made the first rectangle for the graphic, I didn't put into uh, consideration that I made the rectangle too big. So there's only room for eight rectangles on this list, okay? But I posted on Twitter and Instagram. You can go follow me at Logan underscore Blackman on Twitter. Blackman, no, not Blackman Logan. That's my personal Instagram account. The Logan Blackman Show 1 is where I posted it on Instagram. You can go follow that account as well. And while you're at it, go and like the Facebook page. Search Logan Blackman Show on top. Go follow me on LinkedIn. I just made a LinkedIn account. And then go subscribe to the YouTube channel. And obviously go subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. I would greatly appreciate it. But my week three Heisman rankings, there was a lot of movement. The only people that stayed the exact same on this list were number one and one, number three. So if you listen to last week's show... Or just saw it on social media or whatever. Or saw my get in, my, get in that argument with Random Dude on Twitter. You would know that number one is Bryce Young. Number three is Spencer Rattler. Okay? I think those are number one and two. I think those are, are pretty... I don't think you're going to find a lot of people disagreeing that those two should be in the top three. And most people, unless they're, you know, messed up a little bit, are going to say Bryce Young is number one in this ranking list. 99% of the time, Bryce Young's going to be the number one Heisman candidate. Because of how good he played against Miami. And I can say this a lot on the show. You can call me a, a, a hipster or a, a pioneer or something like that. But Bryce Young is something that is a person or player that we talked about last year. When he committed to Alabama, we were talking about Bryce Young. You can go back on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and go find those episodes of me talking about Bryce Young, about how I think he should have started last year over Mac Jones. But then obviously that was preseason. That was during the summer because I thought he was more talented than Mac Jones. But we also talked about the fact that Mac Jones didn't do anything to lose the starting job. So Mac Jones started. And Mac Jones led the nation in passing yards. He won a national championship. He got drafted 15 overall. And he started week one for the New England Patriots. Perfectly okay with that because I really like Mac Jones. I kind of got annoyed at times for the amount of hate 
he got over the the span or right before the NFL draft. Kind of got annoyed with that, even though I have no personal connection to Alabama, I have no personal connection to Mac Jones. It was just frustrating. And for here, Bryce Young is insane talent, absolutely insane talent. Now he didn't play the toughest opponent week two. He went from Miami to freaking Mercer. So he was going to put up decent numbers against Mercer. 227 yards, three touchdowns. He also put up a whopping, <laughs> a whopping one-yard rushing on two attempts. But one-yard rushing, that's pretty damn impressive. <laughs> 0.5 yards per attempt But Bryce Young's game against Miami. I had him at number two in the preseason ranks. And then after Miami, it was boom, number one. And if you didn't know what last week's ranking was, I'll read those out real quick because I don't think I've mentioned I well, I mentioned them last week, but if you didn't listen to last week's show, I'll read you out last week's rankings because it is adjusted from last week. So, number one through number 10, because we just posted this on Twitter, didn't make a graphic for it. Number one, Bryce Young. Number two was CJ Stroud from Ohio State. Number three, Spencer Rattler. Four, Desmond Ritter. Five, Matt Corral. Number six was DJU from Clemson. Seven was Sam Howell. Eight, Chris Olave. Nine, B. John Robinson, and 10 was Derek King. Preseason, uh, Bryce Young was ranked second, CJ Stroud third, Spencer Rattler first, Desmond Ritter seventh, Matt Corral eight, DJU four, Sam Howell five, Chris Olave and B. John Robinson not ranked, and then Derek King ranked sixth. And then I don't know where the first, the week one rankings are. I think I, I had CJ Stroud at third. Oh, here we go. Week one rankings with Spencer Rattler one, Bryce Young two, CJ Stroud three, DJU 4, Sam Howell 5, Derek King 6, Desmond Ritter 7, Matt Corral 8, and then Keaton Slovis 9 and Malik Willis from Liberty at number 10. So that was my top 10 preseason, and the list I read you before that was my week, post-week 1, pre-week 2 rankings, okay? So I titled this week 2 Heisman rankings because it's going into the week. But it's subject to change, like we talked about on Friday when I got in the argument with the random dude on Twitter. It's subject to change. The list is not locked in the entire season. This is not how I think the Heisman ranking is going to end. At this point in time, week two, now week three of the college football season, this is how I see it. And Spencer Rattler and Bryce Young haven't changed because Bryce Young is a baller. We've talked about that (laughs) since last year. Number two on this list, raising up quite a bit, was Matt Corral from Ole Miss, a guy that we talked about quite a bit preseason about how he needs to settle down in the passing game and not have so many lapses in judgment, which so far this season, it it hasn't been against the a murderer's row of teams or anything, but it's been against at least one good team. (laughs) Louisville should be a little bit of a challenge for a team like Ole Miss, who is not necessarily one of the upper echelon programs, one of the college football blue bloods in the nation. That's not what Ole Miss is. Louisville should be more of a challenge to Ole Miss than they what they were on week one, and especially without Lane Kiffin there, with no real head coach there. Matt Corral really stepped up as a leader, took on a really big role in that game, and battled out in that game against Louisville, got targeted in the game, played really well week one, and then threw five touchdowns this week against Austin Peay. 281 yards, five touchdowns. Great performance for Matt Corral this weekend yet again. He also had 35 rushing yards in the game as well. He's not afraid to move around the pocket and move and get big gains for first down. He's not afraid, which is something you need from your starting quarterback. I just hope as the season progresses, this is my only fear in regards to Matt Corral, is that those lapses in judgment don't pop up randomly. Because if you look at last year, now it's the first year, to my knowledge, starting. He threw six interceptions in one game and then five interceptions in another game against LSU and Arkansas who LSU lost everybody from the season before from their national championship team, lost 14 starters. So they were not going to be good. You had Derek Stingley still there, but he still battled. He battled a ton of injuries last year, mostly his ankle. And then Arkansas, who is not necessarily known for their defensive prowess. (laughs) They have Traylon Burks, and they just kicked the shit out of Texas and danced all over Texas' grave last week, and now ranked in the top 20. So congratulations. If we didn't do this already, congratulations, Arkansas. Matt Corral's balling out. And we knew that the Heisman was a possibility for Matt Corral. The Heisman was always a possibility. The fact that he's getting mentioned, we'll get to this a little bit, it was his draft stock that was the problem. You can be a very talked about Heisman candidate and not be the highest rated draft stock 
and your draft stock. Tim Tebow was drafted 25th and won the Heisman. Not the year that he won it, but just because you won the Heisman does not make you a qualified NFL starting quarterback or NFL starting player. James White, or Jason White, sorry, from Oklahoma, he had a lot of other issues, mostly, most notably his knees, but he didn't get drafted. But he had, you know, the knees of a 90-year-old at 20-something years old. So it didn't really bode well for him in the NFL. But just because you're a top Heisman candidate does not make you a top draft player. And I think Matt Corral will keep moving up the list of the draft stock order. We'll get to that in a little bit, like I said. But for the Heisman, he has to get talked about. Ole Miss, like I said, is not necessarily the biggest face in college football. People know Ole Miss. But I would say, this might sound bad, they're more known for their uh, scandals (laughs) more recently than what the product they put on in the football field. Just in recent history. Number three, like I said, Spencer Rattler. We said he didn't move. He's still there. I thought about moving him back up to number two and putting Corral at three. It was just going to be rotated like that. But I can't get out of my head the game that he had against Tulane. Tulane... Fair, I mean, a good enough football team. Nothing that should really... They're a good team. I I should start off with that. Tulane is just a really good... They're a good football team. They're not bad. They are a good team. But Oklahoma, I get it was technically on the road, but you played in Gaylord Stadium or whatever that stadium is called. I know Gaylord's part of it. But Oklahoma should not have any issues. Regardless if Tulane's a good team or not, Oklahoma should not have any issues whatsoever against Tulane. In my opinion. Now, I could be completely out of line in that. But Tulane should not be competing with Oklahoma. They have a quote-unquote rivalry with LSU. When has it ever been a rivalry? Tulane, that I'm, I'm, this is sounding very bad, but this, is, this should not be taken as terribly as what I'm making it sound like Tulane's this garbage program. But realistically, Tulane should not be competing with Oklahoma, with LSU, with other big-time schools like that. And to lose at home, though technically on the road, even though it was in your own stadium, to beat them by five while throwing more interceptions than touchdowns, that's the problem I have an issue with in regards to the Heisman. Now, we'll get to the draft stock thing in a little bit. That's a completely different story. But for the Heisman, for the best player in college football, you can't have games like Tulane. Now, he had a great game this weekend. Against Western Carolina, and you won by 76 points. You, you should have displaced Tulane. Not like by 76 points, but you should have at least beat him by 20. That's more realistic than 76. I'm not going to lay that on top of them and go, you didn't beat Tulane by 76 points. You, you guys are frauds. I don't think they're almost frauds. I mean, they think they'll get their ass kicked in the college football playoff when they make it eventually, but because <laughs> that's just what they always do. But I like Rattler. That week one game was not great. And number four on this list is C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud put up really good numbers. If you just look at face value, you look at statistics. This is the problem, though, with statistics. Because on one hand, you go, oh, wow, C.J. Stroud threw for almost 500 yards against a top 15 team in the nation in Oregon. But then you look a little deeper. I mean, yeah, 484 yards, three touchdowns is really nice. He missed a lot of passes in that game. He went 35-54, which throwing 50, almost 55-60 times is going to get you a shitload of yards. That's just, you know, natural. But he missed a lot of receivers high. To a point where some people, and I'm talking mostly about Matt Miller on Twitter, who's an NFL draft scout, used to be a Bleach Report, now kind of does some side work for ESPN. He said, can, I, can we put in one of the Ohio State's other five-star quarterbacks? Statistically, he had a good game. 484 yards. Nothing to sniff at whatsoever, especially against a top 12 team in Oregon. Now ranked fourth in the nation because they beat Ohio State. But Stroud did not play great. I think this was more of a volume situation where you're just throwing a shit ton, so that means you're going to get a lot of yards versus actual quality in the yards that you got. Because you can have 484 yards and look really good. You can look, throw 484 yards and not look great. And that's the situation. His interception was bad. And I mean bad. I defended him last week. And we talked about that on the show. Because then, at that point, his performance against Minnesota was better than 
Rattlers against Tulane. Bar none. I mean, you can talk to me about it all you want. That's true. But after this week, though he threw a shit ton of yards like that, he dropped in the rankings because of the performance he put together. They This scoreline is not indicative to how bad that game was. Oregon beat up Ohio State on Saturday. They beat up Ohio State. You can say that about a few games on Saturday, even on Sunday in the NFL. Oregon beat up Ohio State. And Oregon rightfully won. And we'll talk about another Oregon player in a little bit. But Stroud had to drop. He might... It might have not been, he wasn't the second, but he's not number two in the Heisman rankings. Let's just put it like that. I was going to try and go some other way with it, but no, let's just cut to the chase. He's not number two in the Heisman rankings anymore. He's just not. He's just not. I love CJ Stroud. I think he's a very good quarterback, and I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. He looks young. He's very, he's just a very young quarterback. He even, he looks like he's 15 years old. If he didn't have the little beard thing or the thing on his chin, he'd look like he's 12. That's it. He is not an old guy. Old quarterback whatsoever. But I do fear, and I think I'll keep saying this the rest of the year because it is it is sitting in the back of my head. Every time I think of C.J. Stroud, I think of this. Kelly Bryant at Clemson went to a national championship and the next year lost his starting job to Trevor Lawrence. Quinn Ewers is a higher-rated high school quarterback than Trevor Lawrence was and is already at Ohio State. If C.J. Stroud does not ball out this year, he is in threat of losing his starting job next year. To me, that's factual. I'm not saying it will happen, but the threat of that is there. And I would li- I'm would i going to keep saying that because I want people to realize that is a real possibility. Kelly Bryant literally went to a national championship <laughs> against Alabama, though they lost, but went to a national championship nonetheless and lost his job to Trevor Lawrence. Now, I do think... On the other hand, C.J. Stroud is a better quarterback than Trevor than Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant, in my opinion, is not a good quarterback. That's why he transferred to Missouri and went undrafted and is not on a roster. I got in arguments with my friend all the time about this, that Kelly Bryant was not a good quarterback, and he kept saying he is. He wasn't. But Trevor Lawrence being there made it difficult for him to keep that job. If Trevor Lawrence wasn't there, would Kelly Bryant have kept his job and kept his kept starting at Clemson? Who knows? But he didn't get the opportunity because he didn't play lights out the season before. Like Trevor Lawrence kept DJU out of the starting job last year. DJU was another five-star quarterback. But Trevor Lawrence played well enough to keep DJU out of the starting job. And DJU is struggling. And I'll give you a little spoiler. He's not on this top eight list. DJU is still struggling. He did not play great this week against an FC- I think it was an FCS opponent for Clemson. I don't remember who exactly they played. I mean, I expect you... To not play great against Georgia, who have the best defense in college football. But he didn't play great against South Carolina State. So he's definitely not on this college this top twenty this top eight list for high school uh, Heisman rankings. Number five is Desmond Ritter. He's just number five because of the fact it's just kind of de facto number five. He dropped from number four, but it's basically because of the fact Corral moved up, Strad moved down. And Corral was behind Ritter last week. But Desmond Ritter, even though I really rate Desmond Ritter, I rate him really highly, but he did not have a great week against a pretty much subpar FCS program in Murray State. And in someone that follows the FCS to a certain extent, I mean, I think more than most people out there, because if you lived in a in the state of Iowa or a state that has a top FBS program like Iowa and Iowa State, you don't pay that much. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I like you and I. Well, yeah, like Drake. Most people in the state of Iowa don't even realize Drake's a D1 program, which is crazy to me. But they're, everybody I talk, every, most people I talk to think D, Drake's a D2, which they're not. They're D1 non scholarship. They're in a division with Butler, Davidson, San Diego, uh, Jacksonville. Like, it's the weirdest conference in college football. It's everywhere. <laughs> the Pioneer League. Uh, man, but you don't care generally about FCS football because you're Iowa State fans. This is what I've talked about before about people don't grow up you and I fans, you grow up Iowa State fans. But Murray State is bang average. They had success last year. I think they went like 5-2 and two or something. They had decent success last year. They're generally around 500. They're not that amazing of a team. And Cincinnati, though they beat the brakes off in like 42-7, to seven, Ritter did not play as good as he did week one against Miami. And I'm intrigued to see how Ritter does this weekend because this is technically Cincinnati's biggest test. And Indiana... Got brushed aside by Iowa in week one. Fair, I mean, 
34-6. I mean, the defense balled out. And Cincinnati's got a good defense. But this is their real test. At Indiana, Big Ten Conference, big-time game for Cincinnati. They're ranked 7th. Indiana's going to, I mean, hopefully be up for it. They weren't really up for week one. But Ritter did not play amazing. But I think it's, again, like we said, more of a people moving up and down versus him just moving down by himself. And then number six, we have a newbie. We have a newbie in the list. It is C.J. Verdell. I think most people, if you watch college football this Saturday, you would have known that C.J. Verdell would be in some, some Heisman talks. Because he balled out. And even before this game, I didn't have him in here, but he's a good running back. He's a little smaller than most running backs, like five foot nine, something around there. But 161 yards at the horseshoe. Two touchdowns. Average 8.1 yards a carry. In the horseshoe. Now, Ohio State's defense, to play devil's advocate here, Ohio State's defense has not played great this year. Muhammad Ibrahim ran all over them in week one, which is fair because, like Verdell, Muhammad Ibrahim is a really good running back as well, and I pray for him to have a speedy recovery because he is a good running back. And hopefully he didn't destroy his draft stock coming off an Achilles injury. I don't know exactly if he got an Achilles injury, but that's what it looked like. But Verdell balled out. And Verdell's had a good has had good success at Oregon. He struggled last year, but like we said before, the F the Pac-12 as a whole struggled. In his first two years at Oregon, he had well over a thousand yards. I mean, well, it's his second year. First year he had just over a thousand yards. But 18 touchdowns in two years. And then his junior year, after coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard years at Oregon, he rushed for 285 yards and three touchdowns. His yards per carry from the season before to that year, when he's coming off a 1,200-yard season, dropped from 6.2 to 4.4. This year, in two games, he's already at 235 yards. In three, He's already matched the total number of touchdowns he had last year. And he's at the number of total yards per carry that he was during his sophomore year, where he rushed for 1,200 yards. C.J. Verdell is a good running back. He just struggled mightily last year, as most of the Pac-12 did. Oregon, if you remember, Oregon was the de facto representative in the, in the Pac-12 championship game, because Washington opted out. Oregon should not have been there. It was Washington versus USC, and then Washington opted out, so Oregon came in and beat USC, and they got shit-stomped by Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. Oregon should not have been there. But they're proving they should be there this year. <laughs> Fourth ranked team in the nation. They had not beaten Ohio. I think they were 0-23 or something against Ohio State. Going into the horseshoe. 14 point underdogs. Or 14 and a half or something like that underdogs at Ohio State. And they come in and win. And CJ Verdell is a big time reason why that happened. 161 yards, two touchdowns. 5'8", 211 pounds. Not the biggest running back in the world but balled out against Ohio State at one of the toughest places to play in college football. Number seven is Chris Olave. I think Chris Olave is starting to... I mean, it's kind of weird to say he's not really separating himself, but I think he is the number one receiver in the draft class. I've had him ranked technically number one, even though I've had the one and one with him and Garrett Wilson, which I think is going to keep going like that till the end of the year. But I do still rank... Why did Bryce Young... Bryce Young just randomly popped up on my screen. I don't know why. I, my screen refreshed, and Bryce Young just was randomly staring at me. I don't know why. But Chris Olave is a baller, and Garrett Wilson is a baller. And both of them, this weekend, had over 115 yards receiving. Chris Olave had 126. Garrett Wilson at 117. So whichever one... I had Chris Olave on my Heisman rankings week two, so I just thought I'd keep him here in week, two, or week three. So he is there at number seven. And number eight, I feel kind of bad for him at number eight. It's just the fact, like Spencer Rattler, like we talked about earlier, I have a hard time getting week one out of my head. And Sam Howell, who I have at number eight, destroyed Georgia State, who is usually a pretty decent team. Not like anything insane, but decent enough. To my knowledge, anyways, I could be completely wrong about that. But he had 352 yards, three touchdowns, and also led North Carolina with 104 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Five total touchdowns, over 450 total yards of offense, 
He's a good, I, I love Sam Howell. You know I like Sam Howell. This is a prime example. Matt Corral at number two, Sam Howell at number eight in the Heisman rankings. This shows you the difference between draft stock and Heisman stock. Sam Howell struggled week one against Virginia Tech, balled out this week. He's going to drop in the Heisman rankings. Draft stock, he showed you things this weekend why you should not forget about him in the draft. His just insane throw down the sideline to Antoine Green was great. And then the 62-yard run to remind you, oh, hey, he's a pretty decent athlete as well. Just not enough to be in the top five of the Heisman anymore. But North Carolina, if you look at the rest of their season, they don't play a murderer's row of teams. They may, they play two really good teams or good teams towards the middle parts of the season. They play Miami, and then the next week play at Notre Dame. This next week will be really big for Sam Howell. He cannot get outplayed this week. Brennan Armstrong is someone that's kind of picking up some steam and some outer circles for Heisman. Not necessarily as the favorite to win it, but he's getting talked about in the rankings. 744 yards, 7 touchdowns, 1 interception. Threw 5 touchdowns against a Big Ten team in Illinois. 42-14 to 14 was the final. 405 yards passing. He's going to get tired. Sam Howell, for both Heisman and Drassock, cannot get outplayed by Brennan Armstrong this week. And I don't think he will. I think Sam Howell is an absolute beast of a quarterback. It's going to take some time, and I'll keep saying this. I'm going to sound like I'm just defending him, which I'm going to try to because I think he's a good quarterback. The adjustment from going from Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Diami Brown, and Chaz Newsom to nobody is a big step. And he's now currently leading them in rushing as well as passing. I mean, you'd expect him to lead them in passing as he's their, their quarterback. <laughs> but North Carolina, they struggled week one. Sam Howell, after that week, is just now on the positive of touchdowns and interceptions. <laughs> he's four touchdowns, three interceptions this year. But I think he's super talented, which is why I still kept him in the top eight. I I dropped him. I don't know if I should have. I should have just probably kept him at seven and had Chris Olave at number eight. But I dropped him nonetheless. That's what the official list says. Honorable mentions that we have on here. We have Brendan, Aaron, Brendan Armstrong. Like we talked about him, the quarterback from Virginia. Blake Corum from Michigan, the running back. Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, another running back. Hassan Haskins from Michigan, another running back. Derek King should be still mentioned. Bo Nix. From Auburn, Anthony Richardson is the quarterback from Florida. And I saw a post today, I think it was on Instagram, per PFF, I think. And they said Anthony Richardson is not the starting quarterback of the future. He should be the starting quarterback now. And after seeing Emory Jones' interceptions against USF, a team that got shit-stomped by 40-plus points week one, I, uh, I like Emory Jones a lot. I like him as a person. I like him as a quarterback, but... He did not cover himself a glory. With Anthony Richardson, he had four or seven total registered plays in passing and running. He had four rushes or something and three passes. Three for three passing, four rushes. Like 300 yards of total offense. It was insane. That's what the numbers you should be putting up against USF. And he led Florida in both rushing and passing, and he only had seven registered plays. As he played more than that, but registered as his, he got a statistic for it. Then you got B. John Robinson from Texas, DJU from Clemson. I don't care if he hasn't played well at the start of the season. Whether you think he should be or not, he's going to get talked about in the Heisman race. He's going to get talked about. Regardless of what you think he'll what he should be talked about or if not, he'll get talked about. Regardless, because he plays for Clemson. They'll be competing for national championships. It doesn't matter if you go, oh, Clemson don't play anybody. Do you, do you know how the college football playoff works? They don't care. They act like they care, but they really don't. Okay? Clemson will probably make it to the college football playoff. Probably. And th that leaves the open area for there's a possibility they don't. I would love to see them not make it. I could really care less about Clemson. One of my favorite games of college football ever as a neutral was Ohio State versus Clemson. Watching Ohio State shit-stomp Clemson as they said they shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. They had him ranked like 12th or something like that. Something ridiculous. But yeah, DJ Uli mentioned it. Obviously, the last one, Chris Olave. I think there's more players we could have mentioned, but those are just the ones that could fit 140 characters on Twitter. I had to shorten Ohio State to OSU on Twitter to fit everybody on this list. 
But yeah, Garrett Wilson is a beast. I just have Chris Olave just above him. Like, very, just above him. And while we're on the topic of college football, we talked about the Heisman rankings, which inevitably, regardless of what you think of the Heisman trophy, it is a quarterback trophy. It's a quarterback running back trophy. Devontae Smith had an insane season. One of the greatest seasons we've ever seen from a wide receiver. It is not a wide receiver trophy. It is a quarterback and, wide, and running back trophy. Wide receivers rarely win. I think there's four wide receivers that won it in their history of the Heisman Trophy. Desmond Howard is the only one I could think of. I think, was Charles Rogers technically a wide receiver? Devontae Smith, Desmond Howard, Charles Rogers? I don't... I, was Charles Rogers technically a wide receiver? Now we're going to have to Google. We're going to have to Google. We're going we're gonna to have to. We're going to... Ah, crap. Come on. <laughs> Come on, work for me here. Would you be surprised if I told you it wasn't working? Charles Rogers. It just searched Cha. Okay, this isn't working. I don't really care. I, <laughs> I could care less about that whole situation. But it's a quarterback trophy. So you're going to mention a lot of quarterbacks in there. And we mentioned all quarterbacks apart from two. C.J. Verdell, the running back from Oregon, and Chris Olave, the wide receiver from Ohio State. The main reason I mentioned Chris Olave and moved him up a spot is because of the fact Strath threw for almost 500 yards and <laughs> four, three receivers had over 115 yards. And Olave, in my opinion, at this point in time, is the best receiver on the roster. Though Garrett Wilson is like... If if Chris Olave is number one, Garrett Wilson's not far behind him. <laughs> it's, not, it's not this insane gulf between the two players. But I have my top ten... Week three quarterback prospect rankings. The draft expert is back with another ranking system here for a draft. We're just all rankings here. This shows you how much stuff I had ready to talk about today. I just had a crap ton of lists to talk about. And I this one, we did this last week. I think I did it on Friday. But I want to try and do this stuff on Wednesdays because, you know, Heisman, it's a, we have a few days to think about what happened over the weekend. Plus enough time to post something before the next weekend happens. And then for high draft stock rankings, we have that just, I don't know, just for fun. <laughs> so my top 10, there's some movement on here. Not a ton of movement. I, there's a decent amount of movement. We have some new people. We have a new person in the top 10. I finally had the balls to drop somebody out of there and I because I had a, a reason to this time. Number one. I don't care if I haven't thrown him the height. It's still Spencer Rattler. Rattler is the most talented quarterback in college football. I think that he set up with Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma with their quarterback friendly offense. Will still be, by the time the draft comes around, the number one quarterback in the draft. Oklahoma just craps out quarterbacks. You had Lincoln Riley with Kyler Murray, with Baker Mayfield, with Jalen Hurts. He turned Jalen Hurts into a freaking quarter, starting quarterback in the NFL. Jalen Hurts at Alabama was not considered a starting quarterback in the NFL. Jalen Hurts at, the, at Alabama was started looking like a Taysom Hill type player. He was not a starting quarterback at the NFL at Alabama. With Oklahoma, came second in the Heisman rankings, I believe, right behind Joe Burrow. Chase Young and Justin Fields were also there. I think Jalen Hurts came second in that year. I could be wrong about that. But now he had one of the best weeks in week one. I'd say the best week was Kyler Murray, but that's just... Chandler Jones is also right up there, but Jalen Hurts had a great week one. Forget about whose defense it was. But forget it was against the Falcons' defense. But he had himself a good week one. Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, this was said right when he got on campus, that he was potentially the most talented quarterback Lincoln Riley's ever worked with. One, that's a big claim. I think Kyler Murray, up to this point, is the most talented quarterback that he has worked with. And Spencer Rattler... Just seems to have too many inconsistencies right now to be the most talented. But again, talent and actually being good are two totally different things. We've talked about a shit ton on this show. But Rattler, this week, 243 yards, five touchdowns, no picks, 29 yards rushing, 76 nothing win over Western Carolina. Didn't do anything to lose the spot. Over the season, six touchdowns, two interceptions, both coming against Tulane. Yeah, he's still number one. He's still number one. Number two, same as last week, I still have Malik Willis at number two. He... Didn't do anything to lose his spot. I think Malik Willis, if we're talking about just overall game, has the biggest or most insane set of skills in the draft. 
I think Rattler's extremely talented. I think I said he's the most talented. He does not have the skills Malik Willis has. Malik Willis has the skill set of Michael Vick in a bigger frame. He's not like insanely big. He's still six foot tall, about 215, but he is a thick dude. And Willis is not going to play an insane college schedule this year. I mean, they just play Troy this week. The toughest. Now, there is one game I'm very excited for. I believe they play Ole Miss at some point throughout the season. I got to make sure that's correct. I'll go to Ole Miss's schedule and see if they actually do play. Because I think we talked about that last weekend. Yeah, they play Ole Miss on November 6th in Mississippi. That'll be an awesome game. I know on the face of it, it'll just be like, oh, another SEC team is playing another garbage random FBS team that they'll just shit stop. No. Liberty is a good football team. That will be a very fun game to watch. And Malik Willis is insane. No quarterback in this draft class has his arm talent and athletic ability. Like He's the fastest player on the field at all times. Malik Willis this weekend against, again, against Troy put up 154 yards passing, two touchdowns, 93 yards rushing, and a touchdown there as well. 21-13 win against Troy. I don't care who's against. The level of competition is starting to matter less and less as we go throughout the years in the NFL. If you can play, you'll get drafted, and drafted high. And Malik Willis, I think, has the best skill set and the most insane skill set in this draft class. Number three, it's Sam Howell. He's moving his way back up to number two. He was number two going into the season. He's now He went from four, two to four to three. His week this week, I mean, we talked about it. He had over 450 yards total offense with five total touchdowns and a 59-17 win. He had an insane throw down the sideline. He got beat up against Virginia Tech, which a game they should have never lost because it's North Carolina against Virginia Tech, which historically you would not say that. But this year, 10th-ranked North Carolina versus unranked Virginia Tech. I get it was in Blacksburg, but North Carolina should win. And Sam Howell did not play well. He played very bad against Virginia Tech. This week, against Georgia State, balled out. Insane game. One of the best players in college football this week. I think he deservedly moved up a spot in the draft rankings. Number four, Desmond Ritter. We had him at number three. I could have realistically had him at number two if I really wanted to. But I just think the the reason mainly that I had him at number three instead of number two, ahead of Malik Willis. And I, I even said last... When did we do this? Last Friday? It was last Wednesday or Friday. I don't remember exactly what day we did the the draft rankings. But I could have flipped a coin and been perfectly fine with the rankings of Ritter at two, Willis at two, Ritter at three, Willis at three. I could have cared less because I think they're two insane quarterbacks. We have been really high on Desmond Ritter. I've been trying to say more people should rank Desmond Ritter higher than what they do. I was really stoked to see Todd McShay rank him in the top 20 because I think that's a very deserving spot for him. But if we're just talking about week-to-week basis, it's more of a power rankings thing than anything. Howell had a better week than him. Both playing similar competition, Cincinnati is higher ranked than North Carolina. 7th compared to then 24. I don't know what they're ranked now. I think Cincinnati might still be ranked 7th. I think North Carolina might be 21. But Ritter, post-week one, where he threw for four touchdowns, had a great game running the ball as well. Consistent 20 for 25 passing, four touchdowns. 14 and 22, 243, two touchdowns, negative four yards rushing. I love Desmond Ritter, but that moved, compared to 450 yards of total offense and five touchdowns, no turnovers, <laughs> I'm going to take Sam Howell on that. I generally rank Sam Howell above Desmond Ritter anyways, but... Last week, going into last week, this past weekend, Ritter was three, Howell four. Ritter was coming off an insane weekend. The preseason was Rattler one, Howell three, Willis three, or no, Howell two, Willis three, Ritter four. That's what it was. Now it reads Rattler, Willis, Howell, Ritter. Did I read that right? (laughs) I I can't remember. I'm sorry. But this will be a big test this week. I'm really excited. Though Indiana played like absolute dog shit week one against Iowa and Iowa played an insane game defensively with Riley Moss the Ankeny boy getting two pick six against Michael Penix this will be big for not only Cincinnati but Indiana as well Indiana was ranked 17th to start the season and they got shit stumped by Iowa they're gonna want a big recovery game against a good team like Cincinnati 
but I think Cincinnati can still beat them. They got the better quarterback in Desmond Ritter, and they've got a, just a, generally a good team. But this week, Ritter did not play better than Sam Howell, which is why he is ranked one spot lower than what he was last week. Number five, we had a change up here, six to five change. Matt Corral is ranked number five. I flip back and forth on this one all the time. Similarly to what I had last week with Willis at two and Ritter at three, flip back and forth between five and six. And you'll understand what I'm talking about when I get in a little bit. But at the start of the season, Matt Corral, and I'll just say number six, Matt Corral has had a better season than Carson Strong. I really like Carson Strong, but Matt Corral has had a better season than him. If we're just going off overall rankings, I really liked how Carson Strong rebounded in the second half against Cal, or just in the second quarter to third quarter against Cal. Started off really slow, started off down, came back, won the game, played well in the second quarter, second half, whatever, and played well this week. But Corral, comparatively, has not really had that down game yet or down quarter like Carson Strong has. And for a guy that I thought, and even he said, that I'm not saying I thought I should have repeated I should have rephrased that. Carson Strong said at the start of the season he wanted to complete about 85% of his passes. For a guy right now that's completing... Uh, well, that's not right. ESPN was messing around with me this earlier. I, hold on. I'm going <laughs> to have to... I'm going to do something because ESPN was screwing up with this earlier about total passing yards. I'm going to have to change this. But 56 for 82 is better than what he was going into from last week. So maybe I could move him back up. But Rattler, or Rattler, Corral and Strong, I could flip back and forth. I might flip it back by the time you see this tomorrow. So I like, I think Strong's a lot more consistent than Matt Corral. But Matt Corral can do more things with his feet than Carson Strong can. Carson Strong against Idaho State went 34 of 43, 381 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, four yards rushing on one carry. With a 49 to 10 win. Matt Corral against Austin P, who is a pretty decent FCS team. Not terrible, not bad, not good, not terrible, but 21 of 33, 281, five touchdowns, 35 rushing yards as well. And 662 total yards, six touchdowns, no picks, 90 yards rushing, again, a touchdown. Compared to Carson Strong, I mean, we talked about his passing yards. 693, six touchdowns, one pick, while also having negative three rushing yards. I don't think, looking at his stats on face value, you go, okay, Carson Strong's liability in the the run game. He's not. He's not a complete statue. He's just not the most mobile quarterback of all time. Corral is a lot more mobile than him. And I think at this point, we have to say Matt Corral is ranked higher than Carson Strong. Even though I really like Strong, I think he will move up a little bit. And Carson Strong and Nevada are playing Kansas State this week. So, like Cincinnati and Desmond Ritter, they're playing a decent team this week. Kansas State is not an insane program, but they can be a hard team to break down in Manhattan. They can be. Look at the past two years against Oklahoma. They haven't lost Oklahoma in the past two years. Why? No idea. Oklahoma's favored like 30 points last year against Kansas State and lost to them. So don't look past Kansas State. I That'll be a very, very fun game to watch. Carson Strong against Kansas State. Matt Corral is playing Tulane. Hopefully he does not have the game that Spencer Rattler did. And by the end of the season, the game against Tulane, which which you never thought you'd say, for, if you're just looking at Rattler versus Corral, and mostly in the Heisman standings, this could be a game that really separates them. With Rattler throwing more intercepts than the touchdowns and beating Tulane by five, if Corral does a lot better than that, and Ole Miss beats the shit out of them, we might see Corral get talked about above Rattler. Not necessarily in the draft stock rankings, but in the Heisman rankings, like we have right now, but see that a little bit more consistently as the season progresses. Maybe we see that a little bit more. But I think it's close. You could flip a coin, like we talked about last week. You could flip a coin between Corral and Strong, and I'd be perfectly fine with it. But right now, I move Corral up one spot. Number seven... This one is, okay, I would like to stress this. It's off a really good performance, but also there are some injuries and some not great play above him that made him move up a lot. It's Jaden Daniels. He moved up three spots from 10 to 7. 20 for 29, 175 yards, two touchdowns, but also 125 yards rushing against UNLV. I've compared him to Lamar Jackson before. Not like identical comparisons with Lamar Jackson, but if you look at them running, explosive athletes that are very slender, that's what Jaden Daniels is. He's like six foot three, 185 pounds, if that. 
I bet he's close to like one. He might be 175. 185, 175. He's a skinny guy, but he has a very good arm and is extremely athletic. And Arizona State is a good team. And he's a good quarterback. And with the other quarterbacks below him not playing very well, it's uh <laughs> it helped him move up quite a bit. In the first game of the year, he didn't need to do a lot. He went like 10 for 12 in the game, no touchdowns, no interceptions, no touchdowns at all, passing or rushing. Didn't need to do a lot. And against UNLV, played a little bit more than what he did week one, put up better numbers, and he moved up a lot. Because if you look at number eight, Keaton Slovis, a guy that I really like in college football, but I had it number six in my preseason rankings just because I like him a lot, but he battled a lot of consistency issues last year. And if you look at the other quarterbacks I had above him at the time, it well, and still, it was number one, Rattler, two, Hal, three, Willis, four, Ritter, five, Carson Strong, and six, Blows. The only thing that Slovis was better than them at was accuracy. That's it. And accuracy can get you a long way. Hell, it got Baker Mayfield drafted number one overall. <laughs> that was pretty much it. But Slovis is not that character. Slovis is not going to put up the numbers that Joe Burrow did. In positions, in parts where they're lacking, I think those are two quarterbacks you can compare them to in regards to accuracy. Not not insane athletes, but decent athletes. I think Burrow's a better athlete than both of them. But accuracy-wise, he compares very well to them. I don't think he has that same confidence in himself watching him as Burrow and Mayfield, two of the most confident quarterbacks, and not only in college football at the time, in the NFL. I think Slovis is lacking that. And then not only not having that, USC were favored by 17 points against Stanford, a team that just lost 24-7 to Kansas State week one and lost 42-28 at home against Stanford. I like Keaton Slovis a lot. If you want to be a top quarterback in this draft, you cannot get your shit stomped, shit rocked by Stanford at home after they just got beat by 20 points or 17 points against Kansas State. I like Drake London as well. I don't think Drake London's draft stock got affected by this. And if I, I haven't really talked about this. My top five receivers right now probably reads Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks, and then John Mechie. That's how Romeo Dubes or Dubs is right there at number six, maybe number five. But Drake London has moved up to number three on the because the preseason had Burks at three, London at four. I think you can flip those two now. But for Slovis, you can't have a game like that against a bad Stanford team. Or not a good Stanford team. Maybe not bad. That may be a little harsh. Not a good Stanford team. And he drops to number eight. And then number nine, I feel really bad. He didn't move on this list. It's Phil Yurkovic from Boston College. He is out for the year, potentially, with a hand injury. Just had surgery on his hand on Monday. Can keep him out for the rest of the year. Got hurt on his first drive of the game against UMass this weekend. After week one where he balled out, not only leading the Boston College Golden Eagles in passing, but also in rushing, 61 yards rushing. He went 3-4, for four, 22 yards against UMass, and now is out for the year. But I think I hope that doesn't derail his draft stock because one of the things people were wanting from him is a year like last year. Because before last year, he was a backup quarterback at Notre Dame behind Ian Book. I mean, most people would do that. Most people in college football will be a backup to Ian Book. So this was his second year. It's like, okay... Can he live up to the expectations from year one at Boston College to year two, or maybe do even better? And now he's out for the season with a hand injury and just had hand surgery, so he's going to be out. So maybe he comes back. I don't know. He's been in college for four years, but I don't know if the COVID eligibility thing changes there or redshirting because he had the four games there. I don't know. I really like him, and I hope that didn't hurt him, but there's not a lot to talk about. I mean, he played he threw four passes against UMass. There's not really a ton to talk about. And then number 10 is Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He didn't play this past week, but we if you've listened to the show long enough, you know how much I like Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He went into the season against Hawaii, pretty much brushed him aside, and then against then 16th-ranked LSU, who most people I think understood, this LSU team on offense is pretty suspect. Defensively, you have some really good players, but offensively, you did not know where they're coming from. And with Miles Brennan getting hurt at the start of the season, you have even more questions on the offense. And then against UCLA, UCLA just balled out. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 
though didn't have hasn't had an insane start of the season. He's 19 of 36, 390 yards, four touchdowns, one pick, 21 rushing yards. This dude has all the skill set to be a really good quarterback at the next level. He can ball out, and he has stuck it through with UCLA since they have had some terrible teams. They're ranked 13th in the nation right now. I believe 13th, yes? Yes, 13th. This is the first time they've been ranked since 2017. Since he's been here, UCLA has not been ranked. They've had some terrible teams. And now, they actually look like a pretty decent team. And this week, in week three, they play Fresno State. Because remember, they played technically, the first week they played was week zero. So when they played LSU, that was week one. They had a bye week this past week, and now they're playing Fresno State. A Fresno State team that took Oregon all the way. I think the final score was like 31-24 or something like that. Oregon's ranked fourth in the nation just beat up Ohio State. And now UCLA is going to play them. So there's a lot of expectations on DTR this weekend and UCLA in general because this is a game that they could possibly slip up on. Fresno State is not a bad team. And UCLA, over the past years, has not done anything to convince people that this is legit. It's like, okay, Hawaii, you should obviously beat Hawaii. LSU, suspect on offense. Maybe they're not as good as what we think they are. But the way they did it, it was insane. They brushed right past them. But I have to have DTR at number 10 because I, every time I just talent, I don't, I still don't know what JT Daniels does that amazes people so much. I had to drop him out of the top 10. He didn't play this week. He had a core injury against UAB or didn't have it against UAB, but had it the week before. Didn't play against UAB. And Stetson Bailey, now it's two completely different teams. UAB didn't have a college football team five years ago and Clemson. <laughs> and Stetson Bailey's now leading Georgia in passing yards. I don't know what JT Daniels does that amazes people. I don't. I, I really don't know. I think it still surrounds the fact that he was good in high school. I think that's pretty much it. Because in college, what the hell has he done except for win five games at Georgia? Which is not that hard to do when you look how good their defense is. Why is... What does he do? Against Clemson, who's a very good team, but for the expectations of Georgia and JT Daniels, he should have not played like that. He had 135 yards passing on 30 attempts. What? And it wasn't Jameis where he had five touchdowns. He had one interception and no touchdowns. And he's also a freaking meat statue. Had negative eight yards rushing. He has like negative 200 yards rushing over his career. J.D. Daniels could be the next great quarterback in the NFL. And I'd be happy to eat my word. I don't know what he does. That makes everybody go, oh yeah, this guy's good. This guy's the real deal. Apart from the fact that he was insane at Matter Day. That's it. I don't. His first year at USC, he went five and seven, and the next year he got hurt, got beat up by Keen Slovis. The next year he transferred, and then won five games at Georgia. Had weird issue getting on the field to start the season, and then now he's not only a Heisman candidate, but the argument of being the top overall pick in the draft. What has he done at Georgia? And in Kirby Smart's quarterback development tree. He's not had a great history at doing that. If you look at quarterbacks who go to the next level, I think JT Daniels get drafted. I do not think at this point in time he's a first-rounder. I had him at number seven preseason. I have him unranked right now. I probably am at number 11. Because though DTR has not had like the most insane season, he can do more than JT Daniels does on a worse team. So, I don't know. I, I get confused about JT Daniels' stuff. And then the next one is Dylan Gabriel. He's also to be mentioned up there. He's had a good season, start of the season so far. Derek King should still be mentioned up there, even though he got beat up against Alabama and had a tough week against Appalachian State. Next one, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina, and then Bo Nix from Auburn. So, we did not have Emory Jones because he got benched against USF through two bad interceptions and might not be starting again. Who knows? Alabama's coming to town this week. Do you roll out the freshman who looked like he might have gotten a concussion? Or do you go with Emory Jones through two bad intercepts against USF? I don't know. Either way, Alabama shit-stomping Florida. That's pretty much the universal opinion on this. Or take on this. And then also, who else do we have on this list? I can't remember. But Emory Jones was the big one that dropped off the list. Brock Purdy's no longer, I mean, he wasn't near the list of week one. 
and then after week one, and then after week two, good lord, he's like top thirty. He's not even top twenty right now. But yeah, we ain't talking that way. He has not played great to start the season. But yeah, those are the quarterbacks that I have in the top ten. The top, the last five that we mentioned are just in alphabetical order by last name. There's no real order. Daniels, Gabriel, King, McCall, and Nix. That's just the order of their last names. Sorry if you don't like it. But that's all I've got for you today. Hope you really enjoyed the show. If not, I can only apologize if you didn't. I mean, um, listen to the next one, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I hope you liked it. If you didn't, I really apologize. But yeah, with that, I will see you guys later. I will see you guys on Friday, hopefully. We've been pretty consistent. We've posted four straight shows. That's pretty damn consistent from us. That's pretty consistent. We haven't been that consistent recently, but I am going to try. I don't know exactly. It's sometime in the near future. Record that USA video because they just had the World Cup qualifiers. They're now second in the group. So I think it's a good time to record a possible like team standing list, like ABC team for the United States. Hopefully get that recorded sometime soon. And we'll do a full college football and NFL breakdown on Friday. We'll do some betting. We'll see how that goes on Friday, but I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you stay tuned for Friday's show because it should be a fun one. And for that, I'm Logan Blackman, and I will see you all later. Peace.